Welcome everyone. Today we're going to learn Pasha's Vayigash. So the Pasha starts, Vayigash of Yehuda. Yehuda approaches Yosef and he's making a plea for, uh, in a Binyamin. And he starts by talking about everything that happened, the review of everything that happened from the perspective of his father. Then he says like this, Lekachtam gamazeh mimpona, he's quoting Yaakov. If you take um, Binyamin from me, the crow also, and something happens to them, you will lower my old age with raw, with calamity, into the grave. And then he continues, and he says, Now, if you're not going to give us Binyamin, and we're going to come back, He's going to see that Binyamin is not there and he'll die. Then we, your servants, are going to lower our father's old age with anguish. So one Pasuki says, He's talking about calamity. And then he's talking about anguish. So we have to know, why does he change this? First he says, Barah, and then he says, Biyogai. Now what did Yaakov really say? So what Yaakov really said, Yaakov said, Vayoymer lo yered b'ni imachem, ki yachiv meis, nishar, I'm not going to send him because uh, Yosef is dead and he's the only one I've left. And then, So Yaakov said, When when Yehuda quotes Yaakov, he says, Not what Yaakov said. But then afterwards, when he says, Now, if this is going to happen and you're going to send us back without Binyamin, then we will lower his his old age into his grave with anguish, Binyagod. Why is he doing this? Why did he change what Yaakov said? And why is he saying separately, Barab Binyagod? Okay, so let's let's go back to the first passage. Vayigash elav Yehuda, vayayman, he said, Biyadoini, yedabrana avdachadavar baznei adoini, let me say something, uh, say something to you. You shouldn't be angry at me because I consider you like Parai. Rashi says, that he spoke to him harsh words. You are considered to me a melech just like Para, even though you're only the vice president, you're only the Mishnah melech, but to me, you're choshev like a melech, maybe because of all his power, you're choshev like a melech. But he spoke to him koshos. What does koshos mean? He spoke to him harsh words. Does this mean that he raised his voice? Does he mean that he glowered at him? Does it mean that he, that he was belligerent? What does it mean, koshos? What do these words koshos mean? So let's go back to Pasha's Vayera. In Pasha's Vayera, it says, Vayiga Shavram means after the Malachim left, they're on the way to Sdaim, and Avram goes out and he 
and he davens, he, try, he, he pleads for first name. Maybe it'll be 50, maybe 45, maybe 40, maybe 30. That's what it, so he goes through a whole series of, of, uh, of requests or prayers. So Vayigash, Rashi says, it means, it means that Vayigash Elov, Motsinu Hagosha Lemulchama, says Vayigash Yoyov is Hagosha Lemulchama. And then we find Hagosha means Lepius, Shanamar, Vayigash Elov Yehuda. And uh, we also find Hagosha Lemulchama, Vayigash Elyoanovi. L'chol el nechaz Avram, Avram meant to do all three, Melchama, Pius, that means with the Rebbein Shalom, Kaviyachol. He's going to do battle with the Rebbein Shalom, Kaviyachol. So he wants Melchama, Pius, and Tefillah. And Rashi says, L'chol el nechaz Avram, Avram came, was, was approaching to do all these three things. L'daber koshois, ulefius, ulefillah. The three things that he wanted was to be kashas, pius, and filler. So we know that when he's talking to Rabbanu Shalom, kashas is not loud voice and harsh. It's not belligerent. It's not a, a, a you know a glowering face. What does kashas mean when he's talking to Rabbanu Shalom? He's doing battle with the Rabbanu Shalom. He's speaking to kashas. So I think these three things can be explained by what the Rambam says in the Meirah, in the second to last Beirik. I think I mentioned it a few weeks ago. The Rambam says, what's the difference between Chesed, Tzedakah, and Mishpat? Chesed is something that you don't have to do. Com- completely optional, voluntary. You don't have to do it. Tzedakah means it's the right thing to do. And, and Mishpat means you have to do it. So what he's saying over here that Avram started with Daber Koshois. He started with Mishpat. He says, you have to do this. Chalil he says, Haftispet Tzadikim Rasha. Are you going to kill a Tzadik to go with a Rasha? You can't do such a thing if there's Tzadikim. Chalil This is Koshois. Koshois means he's coming with a very powerful argument. He is with a Tviya. He's demanding from him. I want Mishpat. This can't be done. This is Koshois. Pius means... It doesn't have to be, but, you know, this is tzedakah. Pius is tzedakah. I'm, I'm asking you, please, you know, cajoling you to do it because it's the right thing to do. Uh, and, and tefillah, the third thing, tefillah, is chesed. I'm just tachnunim, I'm just pleading, I don't, have, uh, I don't have a claim because it's mishpat, I don't have a semi-claim because it's tzedakah, pure chesed, I'm asking you tachnunim. So these are the three things that he did. He started with Koshois, which is Mishpat, then he went to Tzedakah, and, and if you trace it, maybe a different time, we'll, we'll show how it's all traced through all his arguments. But he starts with, with Mishpat, and then he goes to Tzedakah, and then he goes to, then he goes to Chesed. These are the three things. So that explains what Koshois means. Koshois means he came to him with a demand, a strong argument. Now, he wasn't yelling, he was polite, he wasn't belligerent, he was respectful, but he came with koshas. He came with mishpat. That's what he came to, mishpat. But, but there is a problem here. Because Rashi says, that there's three things, Muhammad, pius, and, and tefillah. So Muhammad he says, because he see vayigash yoyah, yoyah, went to Muhammad. Pius, 
Because it says, Vayigash Elav Yehuda. So Yehuda was pious. Was he pious or was he kashais? What's the pshat? What is this? It's a steer and Rashi. Here Rashi said Yudu was pious, and here Rashi says Malamed Shadibel of Kashais. So let's look back to what we spoke about before. What is the raw? What is the raw? Rashi says, Achshav Kesho Etzli. Now, when I have been yamin with me, Ani Misnachem Alimai. So I have Nechaman, his mother, and Rachel. Balochiv and on Yosef is missing. So I have Nechama, because I have him. Vim Yomus, if he dies, Doimolai Sheshloshtam Mesem Biyamechad. It feels to me like they all died in one day. What is he saying here? He's saying like this. He's saying that, that it's, not just, it's not just emotional thing here. He's saying that there's a whole part of Klal Yisrael which is meant to come out of Rachel. Rachel bring, brought certain koiches to Klal Yisrael that Leah didn't bring, Leah brought other koiches, and all these together are, are, are the composite of Klal Yisrael. There's the chilek of Rachel. So Rachel died. Yosef died. If Binyamin dies, the whole chilek of Rachel is bottle, and this is the calamity, because Klal Yisrael will be handicapped. It will be, be incomplete. That's the raw. That's a terrible thing. It's a calamity. It's not just the, you know, the, 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 the human side that his son died. But he says it's going to come like everybody died. Binyamin was the only one that was carrying the torch of Rachel. Only Binyamin. If Binyamin dies, then, then Rachel is gone, and Yosef is gone, and Binyamin is gone. And that whole chalik of Kal Yisrael is gone. And Kal Yisrael will be missing a limb, or two limbs, I don't know. Kal Yisrael will be deficient. So that's the raw. So when, when Yaakov said, What was his anguish? It was more than the anguish of a parent that loses a child. It was the anguish of the, of the third Av, the last and, fa- and the greatest Av of Klal Yisrael, the Bechir Sheba Avots. And he's building Klal Yisrael and his construction of Klal Yisrael, part of it has going to fall apart. That's the raw, and that's what's causing him the yogging. I feel it's, it's such terrible anguish that, that, that it was entrusted to him to build Klal Yisrael, and part of it is not going to happen. That is a terrible, terrible anguish, and that's why Yaakov said be yogging. That's why he was, the, that's why he was upset. That's why, the, that's why he had this tremendous anguish, this tremendous yogging. Yehuda took these two things, the calamity of, of the damage to Klal Yisrael and the, the, the anguish to Yaakov of, of seeing in the, that, that, that the Klal Yisrael that he's building is going to be damaged. He took those two, these two things and he separated them. So first he started with the calamity. First he started with the calamity. I'll explain right away why. So, so that was, that was a pious. He's coming to the, he says, he says, Be Adoni, Adoni. That's the language of Pius. That's the language of Pius. He is, he is cajoling him. He is saying, please, you know, do something. Now, 
Yosef, as the king of, of as the effective king of Mitzrayim, has no obligation to be worried about the damage of a nation uh, hundreds of miles away. It's not his problem. You know, this is something, it, it would be, it's the right thing to do, it's tzedakah, it's a good thing that you should, there's a nation there, and it's building, and part of it is going to crumble, so it's tzedakah, but as, as king, you have no obligation to another nation, why do you have an obligation to them? So this was Pius, this part was Pius, and he said, the first, so there were two arguments here, the first part of the Pasuk, and the second part of the Pasuk. The first part of the Pasuk was Pius. The second part of the Pasuk, when it says, Al yicher abcha abdecha, that was Koshois, that was Mishpat. So first he started with the argument of Pius, and then he started with the of Tzedakah, and then he went to the argument of Mishpat. So the first argument is, that he, that he mentions first, is there's going to be a calamity to Klal Yisrael. A calamity to Klal Yisrael, so... I'm asking you, listen, it would, be, it would be a nice moral thing for you to, to help out this other nation, but you really don't have to, it's not mishpat, but it would be, it would be tzedakah. But then he says another thing, now, now he says, I'm eating now mishpat, why do you say mishpat afterwards? He's saying that you're a king, and as a king, a king has to be merciful, that's what a king has to do. The best in paskins on somebody that he sh- that, that that you don't you don't bring mercy into the into the court. You paskin whatever the, the the law is. But the king can be merciful. The king can that's his the, he can pardon. You know the the, the courts uh, you know uh, 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 convict you, but then the president pardons you. The king is has the ability to pardon, and he should pardon wherever it's appropriate. It's so that's mishpat, that's an obligation. So he's saying, he's saying, even if you don't want to do tzedakah, but the yagoin, my father is is sitting, an old man sitting in Canaan, he's crying, his heart is broken, have mercy on him, a king should have mercy. If you're a king, that's what a king does, a king has mercy. Now, why didn't he start with this? Because this needed a shtikl taira, because Yosef was not a king, Yosef was just a Mishlam Melech. So he says, Mishpat, why am I asking for you Mishpat? Because you, I look at you like a king. And if I, and you want to argue with that? Okay, we'll discuss it. But I'm saying that you're a king. Now, it's, it's, it's debatable, so we can debate it. But I'm saying that you're a king. And you're like Paroi. If you are a king, then it's incumbent on you to be merciful wherever you have an opportunity to be merciful. So he started out with Rosh Eilat Tzedakah, that's straight Tzedakah, that there's a nation that's, that's part of it is crumbling. Tzedakah, you should, you should help them. But even, but even if you don't want to, now we're going to come to Mishpat. But, but Lemaise, you have to do it because of Yogan. Because, it's because you have to have mercy, and a king has to have mercy, and you are a king, that's what he's saying to him. But Yaakov meant both. Yaakov, the yogan of Yaakov was for the raw. 
Yaakov knew that they were Roy says, Achshuk and be like all three died in one day. Yaakov says, Look, everybody's dying. Rachel, Yosef, Benjamin, everybody's dead. What's going to be with that part of Klal Yisrael? That was the rod that he saw, and that caused him the Yagain. So to Paro, he says, You worry, first I want, to, I want you to uh, do it because of the raw. But then he says, Forget about what the reason of the raw is, but, of the Yagain is, but there is Yagain. There's an old man sitting there, and he's crying his heart out. Have mercy on him. That's what the, that's what uh, Yosef was saying to to. That's what Yehuda. I get these names mixed up, mixed up for some reason. That's why Yehuda. That's what Yehuda was saying to Yosef. Now, let's go a little bit further in the parsha. So Yosef um, reveals himself to the brothers, and he says, Is my father still alive? So the question is right away, that in Parshas Miketz, not in Parshas in Parshas Miketz, yes, when they, when they came back to get Shimon and to buy more food, so Yosef says to them, he asked him if he's still alive. And they said, So they told him already that he's alive. Why is he saying again, Why is he saying this? He knew the answer. They, they, they did not go back to Canaan in between. They didn't communicate, they didn't call on the phone. They had no contact with Yaakov from the time they came to, to Mitzrayim. And they told him that he's alive, and that's the latest information they had. So why is he asking, is he still alive? So there's a famous word on this, that, it's a, that this is really a rhetorical question. He's saying, you're worried about, uh, you, you know, when you sold me, why don't you worry that it's going gonna, it's gonna to kill my father? You're worried that if it doesn't get Binyamin, but why don't you worry about me? Okay, but I'm going to go in a different direction. The Gemara says in Saita, the Gemara says like this. Amri Stagnine Paroi, Eved, Shilkocha Rabbi, Basram Kesef, Tamshilanilainu. You bought, you bought him for 20 shekel and he's going to become king over us. I see in him, I see in him the ability, the talent to be a king. They said in Kenya, he should speak 70 languages. He should speak Shivam Lashen. If he's going to have such a high position, he should speak Shivam Lashen. So, Yosef didn't know Shivam Lashen. He spoke uh, Hebrew which was Lashon Kaidish, which was the language of Canaan, as the, as the Ramban says. And if you look at Canaanite inscriptions, it's practically Hebrew. Uh, I guess he spoke Egyptian. I mean, he's been years and years in Egypt, so he spoke Egyptian, but he didn't speak Shivim Lashon. So, Bogavriel Valindo Shivim Lashon. So he came and he taught him Shivim Lashon. Gavriel came, the Malach, and he taught him, the, taught him Shivim Lashon. Lehavik a gomar, so he wasn't. It didn't. It didn't take. 
So then he added an oy, uh, the letter Hey to his name. It says, Eidus behoiz of somebody that says Eretz Mitzrayim. Svasli dati eshma. So mainly he was able to hear, to, to, to understand the Shivam Lashen. So later, when he wanted to take, take Yaakov back, so Parai didn't speak Hebrew. He didn't speak Lashen Kaidish, which was an embarrassment for him. So he said, if you don't let me take Yaakov back to follow, escort Yaakov back to, to Canaan, to the Morris Machpelah, that I'm going to tell people that you don't speak Hebrew. And that's a, that's a bizarre. We can understand why it's a bizarre for Paro, for Paro, because Canaan was next door neighbor, so he should speak that language. He didn't. He didn't get it. So, let's talk about Shivim Loshan. You have to speak 70 languages. How does a person speak 70 languages? You know, I mean, most people in America speak one or two languages. Yidin speak on. I can speak Hebrew, Yiddish, and English. I learned French in, in high school, so I could speak, uh, uh, you know, poor French. I learned, uh, my, my parents used to speak Russian. They didn't want me to understand. I went out and got a book, so I was able to speak, uh, you know, a poor Russian. And I learned Spanish because I felt I should know Spanish. And I have a, a functional Spanish. So I have six languages, barely, six languages. Three well, one not so well, and two poor. It's not easy. How, how can a person learn 70 languages? How? It's like, and why? Why does, does it, as you say, it's like a, a, a supernatural thing, but it's not, you see. The Paris ministers told him that he has to speak 70 languages. So it's not supernatural. And it's a halacha. The Gemara says in Hedrin, and Dafyud Zayan, that Dayan has to speak Shivim Lashen. Why? If somebody comes into Bezdin, either the, the, the litigants or the Edim, and the Dayan has to hear what they're saying, he should be able to understand what they're saying. He should not, uh, you, you know, we should not have to use an interpreter. So how do you expect the Dayan to speak 70 languages? What kind of halacha is that? And what kind of bittle tire is that? Why in the world would he have to speak Tagalog and Vietnamese and Swahili and who knows whatever other languages they are? You know, 70 languages, it's like, it's incredible. What does that mean? So Mordechai spoke Tursi because he spoke 70 languages. Did he speak 70 languages? No. Shivim Loshan does not mean 70 languages. Shivim Loshan is an idiomatic expression in Hebrew, which means foreign languages. The languages of the Goyim. The Shivim Mumais are the Goyim. You have to speak Goyish languages. Which Goyish languages do you have to speak? The ones that are relevant. The ones that are relevant. If, you, if, you, if, you, if you're in New York and dying, you have to speak uh, English, Hebrew, Yiddish, um, Spanish, and maybe some Russian, and uh, you don't have to speak French. Nobody's speaking French in, in, in New York. So, so that's what it means. Shivim Loshan doesn't mean 70 languages. It's an, it's an idiom. Idiom means something which, is, which, which, uh, which doesn't translate well to another language. I was once talking to a man from Williamsburg, a very intelligent man, and he was talking about a certain person, and he tells me, you know, he talks to the thing. 
<laughs> what does that mean? He talks to the thing. Until I realized that he's, that he's translating the Yiddish. The Yiddish, he say, Eretz Zach. That means he's on point. But he's, okay, Eretz Zach. I'm speaking English. He talks to the thing. So he said, aha, now I know what you mean. You mean he doesn't bang on a teapot, which means can shinik. So, but and on the other hand, what does it mean? It means he's on point. If I would take the, it's also an idiom. If I would say that he talks on point and transfer that to Yiddish and eret afn spitz, what does that mean? It means nothing. My brother-in-law is from Belgium. He speaks excellent English, but he's not American. He's from he's from Belgium. So one time he tells my sister, what kind of a country is this? I just read in the paper that two people went into the mayor's office and shoot off his ear, shoot his ear off. <laughs> what kind of country is this? So you cannot take idioms and translate them literally and expect them to preserve their meaning. They don't. So Shivim Loshen is an idiom. Why did Mordechai speak Torsi? Because it was a province in the, in the Persian Empire. Well, it was like 100, 200 miles away. So he spoke it because, uh, you know, sometimes tourism come around, so he spoke it. You know, Paris spoke Shivim Loshen. He spoke Libyan, he spoke, uh, uh, you know, Ethiopian, whatever. But he didn't speak Hebrew, which was a for him. Because the, 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 the king of, of Egypt, who is, uh, you know, has an, uh, a big empire, should be able to speak the languages of the neighboring countries, and he couldn't. So Yosef had to learn Shivan Loshan, means he had to learn the relevant foreign languages. That's what he had to learn. That's what, that's what it means. So now, so let's talk about Oidavichai. He says to them, Hasholim Avichem Azokin, is he at peace? Haidanuchai, is he alive? Now, if he meant Aidenuchai, if he's alive and not dead, the first he should say Aidenuchai, is he alive? And then you should say, Ashalom Loi, how is he? Is, is he at peace? First you ask at peace, and then you ask, ask if he's alive? It doesn't make sense. So, what does Aidenuchai mean? Look, look in, in Pasha Shemais. When Moshe came to ask permission from Yisrael to go to Mitzrayim, he said to him, I want to go return to my, my, my brothers in Mitzrayim. The era I want to see. What does that mean? That he, he wants to see if they're all dead? No. So what does Oidom Chayim mean? What does Oidom Chayim mean? Oidom Chayim is an idiomatic expression which means how are his spirits? How is he doing? Is he, is he depressed? Is he happy? Is he fresh? You know, how is he doing? That's what Ayat al-Khai said. First he said, Asholom avicham azokin. Is he, is everything okay with him? You know, is he, you know, he's having no troubles. And now, how are his spirits? Ayat al-Khai. Are he in good spirits? So then, so they said, yeah, it's Sholom and, and he's in, and he's in good spirits. Now he's, so Yosef says, Ani Yosef. A stranger asks you, how's your father doing? Baruch Hashem, Baruch Hashem, yeah? But Ani Yosef, I'm not a stranger, I'm your brother. Now tell me how my father's doing. How is he doing? Is he really in good spirits? Or did you just tell me Baruch Hashem? That's what he's saying over here. I just want to conclude with a, with a small addendum 
to what we spoke about last week. We were speaking about Yosef, that he had to spend two, two years in prison because he didn't have betochen, because he asked the, uh, the Tsar Mashkim to, 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 re, to remember him to Pare. And the question was, Ishtadlos, you have to have Ishtadlos. So I, so I suggested that what he was asking from the Saramashkim to, he's asking, boy, he's asking to do something very inappropriate at the party to ask this. Later, it's humiliating. So either what he's going to do is going to be either inappropriate or humiliating. Ishtadlos requires normal Ishtadlos. This is extreme Ishtadlos. So someone asked me a question, so what was he supposed to do? What else was he supposed to do? So, so I'd like to say, first of all, what is the purpose of Ishtadlas? Why do you have to have Ishtadlas? Why? So the Chinuch says that there's a mitzvah to bring Eish Menahedyet. Even though it was Eish, in the, in the first place of Migdash, it was Eish Yardom and Hashemayim on the Mizbeach, but there's a mitzvah to bring Eish Menahedyet. Why is there a mitzvah to bring Eish Menahedyet? So the Chinuch says, because to be Mechased and Nes. You don't want the nest should be a nest goli. You want to cover it. So bring Eish Mnehedyet, and the mice says Eish Mnehedyet, so, so, so the nest is concealed. The wind blew before Kriyas Yamsov. To be a little bit, to be Mechasa the nest. So uh, the question is, how is that Mechasa the nest? We'll speak about that in Parashas Va'era. But, but that's, the, that's what Ishtadl says. It's not there to help the Rabbani Shlelem. He doesn't need your help. The Ishtadlis is to cover the nest. If you do nothing, then it would be clearly supernatural that, the, you know, that, I mean, not a Shini Ateva, but that the Rabbani Shalom is, is doing something with a, a very, very overt Hashgacha. So you have to cover that with Ishtadlas. You do Ishtadlas, Rabbani Shalom gives you a bracha, Rabbani Shalom gives you and you do Ishtadlas to cover the nest. That's the purpose of Ishtadlas. And you have to do limited ishtadlas. Just do enough to cover. Why are you going to extremes? Like, you know, th- th- that's not needed. But if a person is in a burning house, so he has to run out, that's not ishtadlas. That's just common sense. We'll save your life. The house is burning. Run out. That's not ishtadlas. And let's say you can't get out the front door, then you can climb up to the next floor break a window, and jump out of the window. That's what you have to do, even though it's extreme. When it comes to saving your life, there's no limit. You don't have to do anything normal. Do things that are extreme. You have to save your life. Yosef was not in Sakana. Yosef was in prison. He was the man who was running the show. He was not in danger. He didn't have, like, like Sakana is going to die, so Mela have to do anything, anything desperate to do anything. No, he was in prison and he was okay. He didn't want to be there, but he was okay. So, so you have to have betochen that a banshul will take you out. With the, what will be your ishtadlis when it happens, who knows. But right now, you're, you're not in Sakona. It's not a burning house, so don't do anything extreme. And he did something extreme. He said, do, go to Paroi and do something either inappropriate or humiliating. And that was too much ishtadlis. Thank you very much. I hope everybody had a nice Hanukkah, and I hope to see you again next week.